Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good evening. It is Monday evening. That means it is time for the Anglo-Italian podcast. You can see it's a full house tonight. As always, I am Rory. I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. We have guests from last week, Ben, I'm trying to point the right way, and another guest from the Unholy Trinity podcast, an Everton podcast. We have Mike. How are we doing, guys? Hello, everybody. Say hello. Hello. We're all good. Hello, everyone. How are you? All good. Well, great to have you on. I'm going to start with Adam. How are you doing, man? We're going to go through. I'm keeping well, thank you. Uh, yeah, this weekend was very boring, it has to be said, Rory. Uh, I did feel a bit lost with all the football, but I was reminded about Matt Letizia having another podcast. Um, yeah, I didn't know where he was all this time, but then he pops up to reminisce about his theories. So uh, let's leave it there. Does. Let's leave it, it there. It's either him or Ricky Lambert, right? They pop up somewhere. Um, <laughs> ben, how you doing, man? Good to have you back on. Yeah, all good. Yeah, all good. Thanks. Um, yeah, glad to be back. Trying not to fall asleep watching England earlier on and on Friday as well. But other than that, a good weekend. Some fun international bits kind of popping up here and there. But yeah, it's been a bit of a drag watching England. But other than that, all good. Yeah, I did find myself watching, watching Botswana versus Tanz- Tanzania thinking, what is my life? I feel I need to go out more. And Mike, more importantly, how are you feeling, mate? It's been a rough weekend, I imagine. I'm still lying down after receiving Friday's news. Hence <laughs> why I'm still in bed. To be honest with you, so I've not uh, not got up since Friday. Um, yeah, you know, it's listen. I'm, we'll, we'll go into detail, I'm sure, um, about what's what's happened on Friday and since. Um, so yeah, big shock, of course, um, on your mind ever since you wake up thinking about it. You go to sleep thinking about it. Um, so yeah, all, all eyes are on us getting our chance to, to to show what we're all about and and voice our message on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, that is, that is going to be the main thrust of the show is, of course, talking about the Premier League absolutely two-footing Everton and making a statement for the rest of the league and for potentially future um, trials um, upcoming. We will be doing a European roundup of all the qualifying action. 
And we'll be finishing with our players who were better for their national teams than they were in domestic football. We'll all be able to chuck in a shout. But, Mike, we're going to let you go off. So the news dropped on Friday, annoyingly after our show had gone out. <laughs> so it felt like instantly our show was out of date. But as the news dropped, what were your initial reactions um, and how are you feeling about it now? Is it still the same? Yeah, it's not gone any gone any easier. The, the anger is very much, very much there. You know, it was a massive shock to think to everybody. You know, not not at least the the uh, the people at, at, at the football club, those behind the scenes, the the manager, the players, um, and as fans, I don't think we, you know, we can we can hold our hands up and we can say the club have said, listen, we okay, we agree with that we've breached. There, there's certainly discussions around what the figure might be, um, but I think if we're we're talking about whether a punishment is proportionate to the actual crime, it's mm. certainly not. You know, and I, and mm. I think that it's quite clear. What has gone on? What is going on? You know, and it's um, that Everton are being used as as a pawn in a political game. It, it is as simple as that because the Premier League are absolutely petrified of being governed by independent people. It, it is as simple as that, as far as I'm concerned. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll I'm sure we'll talk more about the reasons why we feel so aggrieved by it. You know, and I think it's maybe not as easy for those on the outside who don't support the club because I think you know if, if it wasn't us. Do, do you really sort of think about it in a great deal? Not really, you know, have a bit of a laugh and a joke. And it's it's a bit funny. I think so the people, mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, we, we've lost 10 points and, and what that actually, what the implications may be. But when you're a fan of a club who, who are suffering like this and having points taken off you, it hurts, believe me. And, and it brings about a lot of anger for many, many reasons. Well, we, like on this pod, we've always admired Everton fans' ability to laugh in difficult situations and be able to make a joke at how horrible it has been to support Everton in the last couple of years. It's obviously a club that's been horrifically mismanaged. Is this just another case of mismanagement? Before we get to how the Premier League have dealt with it, is this just another example of how mismanaged the club has been? I think that what, to answer the question there, that you will have seen again the you know the the footage, the scenes at many, many games, uh, before games, after games, sit-ins, various protests. We're not daft. Do you know what I mean? Mm. We know what's been going on. We, we know the club's been grossly mismanaged for, for many, many years. We we came into money, obviously, when Farhad Mishiri slash Usmanov came on board. We wasted a lot of money in those early years and, and spent a lot of money on, on bang average and below average players. So we went about it totally the wrong way, you know, and, and that was our chance to obviously not, not get to the sort of top table, so to speak, in terms of the Champions League every single season. But certainly, you know, Getting regular European qualification, which we've been used to under David Moyes, um, and and also competing and, and, and winning trophies. Whereas we've gone, we've gone backwards. We've gone backwards mm-hmm. since then. You know, since that first Martinez season, where, you know, which was before the the years of Farhad and Mishiri, that thirteen fourteen season when we were terrific and finished fifth, I think with a record points total and didn't get Champions League football. Since then, it's gone backwards and it and it's basically been under the, under the watch of Farhad and Mishiri. So there's been massive mismanagement, but also there's been Massive bad luck as well, you know, mm. which the, the commission decided they weren't going to take it into account, you know, whether that be the war uh, in Ukraine, which massively impacted our sponsorship overnight. You know, the USM sponsored the training ground. There was sponsorship of the of Goodison Park and one of the, in the park end stand had a megaphone written all over it. There was um, obviously they had the, the name and nights pretty much agreed for Bramley Moore, 200 million pounds over 10 years. Mm. So when you start stripping that money back, there's your breach. There's your breach straight away because the yeah. when it was pulled from the club, you know, 30 million pounds overnight. 
that is the breach. So mm. Everton are being mismanaged. But you can't say that 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 the war and people being sanctioned have not impacted what has gone on behind the scenes and the financial side of things. So to ignore that and to ignore incest payments on the stadium. So we're, we're trying, you know, the, the stadium's flying up. It's going to be ready in about 12 months' time. Everton regenerating uh, a, a poor area, should we say, uh, mm-hmm. not too far from Goodison Park. We're creating thousands of jobs, not only on the building site now, but when the ground opens, we're bringing massive money to the economy of the city. The Premier League are quite happy to to use that stadium as a flagship for the for the Euro 2028 bid. And if it was mm-hmm. one of the stadiums. But you know, when we're saying, well, hang on, you know, there was incest payments which date back to which we thought we could then claim. And they changed, they apparently changed the uh, legislation in 2022. So there's little things like that, which I think the you know the the commission ignored, which which we think is harsh. But the the, the biggest factor I think for, for us all as Everton fans is it is hard to compare because we haven't seen this kind of breach before, really, in the Premier League. The last time a side lost any kind of points was a Portsmouth. It was a 2009 last time a side mm-hmm. lost points. It was administration. So we, it's so hard to compare. But what we will do, what we will say is, a few years ago, six teams tried to ruin English football and tried to, to ruin the football pyramid, not just the Premier League, yeah. the football pyramid, because it all involves money. And when that money is taken away, and the brand of the Premier League becomes less valuable, which it, which it would have done. That money then doesn't get filtered down to, to where it needs to go more more than anywhere else, which is the bottom of the football pyramid and, and above there. So they forget that, and they forget that they said they are lads. Three million quid, we'll you know you can pay. Mm. Don't do it again though. Don't do it again, yeah. lads. Otherwise, we, we'll take twenty points off. You know you won't because that's that's your brand. Those six clubs of the Premier League. Let me no mistake. We're not going to sit here and say that we're. We're more we're worth worth more than we are. We know it's a business, but they're petrified. They are absolutely petrified of six potentially now seven clubs because mm-hmm. Newcastle got money and they've got the back by mm-hmm. by obviously the Saudis. So, you know, they're absolutely petrified that if, if they pull away from the Premier League, the money and the brand is gone. But mm-hmm. with Everton, cannon fodder. We as I've written an article coming out tomorrow, which basically says that we've we've been sacrificed on the altar of the Premier League. It's yeah. as simple as that. And we've been using it as, as an example. And unfortunately for the Premier League, it's the wrong club to do it to because you see what we'll do as fans in terms of how we'll back our club, how we'll support our clubs in you know during hardship, during really, really difficult times. Everton shouldn't be fighting relegation. No. And without trying to you know put ourselves on, on a pedestal, Everton shouldn't find, find ourselves having to beat Bournemouth in the last game of the season to stay up. We shouldn't have to beat Crystal Palace with one game to go to stay up. It shouldn't happen. That there's the mismanagement right there. Mm-hmm. But as fans, we come together. You know the, the welcome that the players have got numerous times in the last two years. Coach welcomes, smoke, you know, smoke bombs going off everywhere outside the training ground, giving the players a send off to go to Leicester. A couple, mm-hmm. of, you know, other clubs don't do that. Look what happens on Sunday. I tell you now, I think we're on forty thousand pound we've raised. Wow. So let's see what we'll do with that on Sunday because it's going to be it's going to be hell for the Premier League, for Manchester United, hopefully. <laughs> and we'll get our message across the front of the world. Super Sunday, our past four, the flagship game of the weekend with the world watching. They'll, they'll, they'll get our message, believe me, and we ain't going to stop because we feel, we feel we're being hard, hard done by massively. So let's, I'm, I'm looking forward to Sunday, believe me. There's a lot of pens up anger and frustration and emotion, you know, and that's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as this week goes on. 
Well, I think it's really interesting. Like, obviously, it's great to see that Everton fans are, are going to come out in force and they are going to get their message across. And hopefully, it will make it more difficult for Manchester United. <laughs> but do you think this is like the Premier League have put a, a dangerous precedent for themselves by making this decision, right? Because now, when the cases with the other clubs do come up, if they ever do, they're going to have to be so heavy handed because they've been so heavy handed to Everton, right? It's how, it's how far can they now go? They haven't given themselves much room, really. It's it's all well and good saying, oh, we'll, you know, 30 points, 40 points. Mm. You're not going to do that. You're not going to start taking that kind of money off, uh, that those kind of points, sorry, off clubs. You're just not going to do it. Um, so I think that, that's where the 10 points is really, really harsh. I think the, the comparison that was used in the, with the commission was when Sheffield Wednesday lost 10 points in the championship. Um, and it was something to do with, it was five points and then it was for every... I think five million pound over the limit mm. they were taken. Uh, they lost a further point. Now five million pound at championship level, as it was, is is a lot more than five million pound at Premier League level. So again, there's just no comparison at all. I think if you you know if you said to us, you know what, you're losing three points, we'd be annoyed, but we'd go, you know what, accept it and move on. We can deal with that because it's not going to make a massive difference to, to this season. We weren't going to get relegated. Because we were eight points clear already. Sean Dice has got the players ticking over nicely. We're, we're playing a brand of football that they all know. It's Listen, it's not attractive at times, but it's, it's it's effective. And we're much more effective and we're creating more chances. And we know exactly what, we're, what we are and the players know the jobs. So we would, we would have been around maybe 12th, 13th without any kind of issues. Now, it's a relegation battle. Because mm. 10 points off anybody mm. is, is big. Not many sides, you know, the only side really you'd think... They probably still win the league with minus ten points. Be Man City, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to other sides, it massively impacts you. And also, let's take into account what it means for the finances because ten points to us is potentially four or five places in the Premier League, if not more. Mm -hmm. That then impacts what kind of money we get off the Premier League in terms of our winnings for our, our league position, which then negatively impacts our, our finances for the twenty three twenty four season. So it's a bit, you know, how many times you want to get punished? Mm. You know, there's there's plenty there's plenty of uh, punishments being handed out here, and then you've got other clubs saying that they want a slice of the pie. Leicester, mm. Burnley, yes, other clubs, Le Le Leeds and um, I'm Norwich. I haven't got a I haven't got a hope in hell, by the way, because they were going down regardless. But <laughs> this is ten points. If you divide it by three seasons, say three points a season or three point three three points a season, thirty two sides. You've got a case of Burnley and Leicester, but mm. then you say, well, okay. If, it, if, it, if the Premier League say we've got to pay them £100 million, because they can set, by the way, how much the compensation is. Everyone going to administration, don't get paid anyway. <laughs> so it's a waste of time. You know, so it's just how, how many times can you be punished for the for the one one charge, not 115 charges, yeah. one charge. And it was minimal. Let's get it right. It was minimal. And it was to do with the stadium pretty much. So mm -hmm. they're, out, they're, they're out to get. They're out to get us as far as we're concerned. And I'd, I'd say to other fans of other clubs outside of those six or seven, They'll come for you as well. Wolves, another one. I know the Wolves mm. have been working with the Premier League. We worked with the Premier League for over two years. We couldn't buy a toilet roll without asking the Premier League first. You know, we don't. You can't buy Andex. You got to go and buy this one. Tesco <laughs> value. That's how it. That's how it was. So we, mm -hmm. we tried to work with them. What kind of what kind of deterrent is it when we're trying to work with them and we're still getting punished by them? You know, so mm -hmm. clubs are just going to close the doors and say, "Listen, I that, I that, I that." Don't tell them anything, and we'll just the bare minimum. So Wolves are in a similar position. I know, I think they're going to be okay, according to what what came out a couple of weeks ago. But they might think they're going to be okay, but not as far as far as the Premier League is concerned, because they'll, they'll come mm. for somebody else, and it won't be City or Chelsea. Mm. 
Mike, could I ask you about the impacts this might have on the 777 group ownership piece? Because obviously that's been dragging on for quite a bit of time now. And um, there was a lot written or supposedly written that potentially this might impact how that kind of takeover does kind of stream roll. I think it's waiting kind of Premier League kind of acceptance at this stage, I think. Um, but do you think this kind of debacle may impact that kind of takeover or is the rumours that it will still go ahead? Yeah, the, the talk today is that there's no problem. I mean, mm. the, the issues at 777 have got a, a lot to do with this. There's other issues at 777 yeah, yeah. that have got, believe me, there's a lot of problems yeah, there. Yeah, of course. Um, so whether they're the guy fit for Everton it remains to be seen and, and is, is a valid question. Um, but no, I think they, they, there were certainly plans uh, put in place that if we were found guilty, we lost points and things like that. What would mm. it mean? They put uh, plans in place for that. They've already loaned Everton 80, 81 million yeah. pounds, by the way. So a lot of what there's a lot of money tied up mm. that they've given the club already. So um obviously that's that's going through the the, the Premier League and, and the relevant financial bodies at the moment. It was always going to be a 12-week process, but they're certainly not the the easiest people I think to deal with. And they they, they mm. certainly come across as as quite shady, which is not what we need. Everton don't need this, you know. Mm-hmm. We've been through hell for two years. We're going through even more this season, and then we've got these lunatics trying to take over the asylum, you know. Because because Farhad Mishir's just checked out altogether, you know. He's mm. he's been seen at the match for the first time, and God knows how long. Um, but when he he speaks to Goodison for the first time in, I think probably eighteen months, if not longer, which was which was when seven 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 were present. So mm. it's um, he's totally checked out. <laughs> Obviously, the money the money tap got turned off as soon as Osmanov got sanctioned. Um, so the, the money just isn't there, and that's why obviously they're the, the throwing in money at the club via a loan, and all they'll do is turn it into equity if they take over the club. Um, but I think, I mean, as I say, there, there shouldn't be. I know there was a few stories yesterday, but I think that was just literally a little bit of sort of people reading between the lines as being. There's no no issue from what I've heard, but you know it's 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 a you want to trust really, I suppose, isn't it? Mm, that's it. Rory didn't know if you had any questions. No, sorry. Uh, yeah, no. I, I just think it's really I'm, I can sympathise with Everton fans a lot, and I really hope that like the appeal because there's a point you raised about like Man City did have not played ball and they've refused mm. to release their books and they've tried at every a chance to block the Premier League. I think the Man City owner was quoted saying, I'd rather spend 30 million just paying the world's best lawyers to keep you in court <laughs> than to actually take a charge, yeah. which is basically, as far as I'm concerned, admitting guilt. An innocent person doesn't say that. But I think it's good that like Everton are trying are trying to appeal it and they referenced it in their in their statement as well, right? Like we look forward to seeing how this is dealt with in the future. Um but yeah like i think that's everything adam ben any mm. questions i don't know yeah. it's just it's tough right yeah it's really tough i think as soon as it came out my instant uh sympathy was with everton and the fans because the fans are the ones that it affects you know the players have been whether it's through points deductions or whatever it is you know we've not seen that before with everton but like mike said everton have been through moments of adversity before and look how they reacted and that was also my gut reaction straight off the bat And I've talked about this for weeks now while this has kind of rumbled on about the fact that you've got the perfect manager in Sean Dyche and the perfect fan base really to kind of galvanise behind Mm -hmm. the team like you've Mm -hmm. done so many times before. And I think all of what you said is so true. It's like it's easier to make an example out of Everton and what give them what they perceive to be a bit of a slap on the wrist 
when actually it's an incredibly harsh punishment for an incredibly minimal crime. It's like, don't get me wrong, if Everton, you know, if Everton had been proved to have done this, then there deserves to be an element of punishment there for sure, like there should be for any club. But like everyone else has just said, you expect them now to throw the book at Man City and Chelsea. And it'll be very, very interesting to see if that actually happens. And one thing that has frustrated me is that, like you said, Everton have been really open in this. They've kind of effectively kind of handed themselves in, handed everything over. They've been completely transparent throughout. And what frustrates me is that you've got some Chelsea fans that are kind of almost wearing that like a badge of honour saying, well, you know, the new owners came in and they handed everything over. And it's like, yeah, you can investigate us and everything like that. It's like, yeah, but Chelsea have been getting away with this for 10 plus years. These investigations Mm -hmm. go a long way back and are far, far worse than anything that Everton have done. Like you said, it's come trying to regenerate a community, generate, uh, build a stadium, everything like that. These are things that, and like you rightly said, the FA are going to come call in when Euro 2028 comes around and are going to want to use your shiny new stadium as kind of part of the plan to kind of appeal and kind of brand the tournament. And that's great for Everton, but it shouldn't happen alongside this. And it's like, personally, I just think that now what needs to happen as a result of this is that the strongest possible, they need to come down on Man City and Chelsea with the strongest kind of possible outcome really because otherwise this just looks stupid and one thing as well that I find is that there's been a lot of talk about how oh if Everton win the next game they're out of the relegation zone it's like yeah but football doesn't work like that it's like there's a lot of people acting like this won't actually necessarily affect Everton when there's a very good chance it will be just because you know this has plunged you into the bottom three and yes if you beat Man United you're straight out of it and that's great but there's still a lot of points to kind of claw back over the course of a season. And the one thing in a way that you don't want to happen, although of course you want to stay up, is the fact that if Everton stay up um, this season, which I still think they will do, I've been impressed with Everton this season. Mm -hmm. I think they've kind of gone from strength to strength. Well, Mike, yeah, kind of trying to pick up on what Ben was saying, is it a blessing that at least this has happened under Dyche and not under Frank Lampard? Yeah, well, I think obviously Sean Dyche is certainly... The right man, you know, to I think mm-hmm. to to be at the club at this time. I think he's the right man to take over when obviously Frank Lampard left the club, and we were lucky in a sense because at that particular point, other clubs were were looking for managers. You know, about two or three weeks later, in our position, so we got him at the right time. He deserved to be kept on post last season, and he's certainly going to be uh, the, the right manager to galvanise the, the players. I mean, the fans are already like like Ben was saying. You know, we, we're we're galvanised as a fan base, mm-hmm. of course. And mm-hmm. We're showing that we've shown it previously. We'll show it Sunday, and we'll keep on showing it. Um, and you know, for, for us personally, you know, it's certainly we, we've got the right man. I think to, to sort of spearhead the fight back in Sean Dyche. I think the the players uh, are very tight units by by all accounts. They've got to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're not a massive squad. We know two or three key injuries and it puts us under a bit of pressure as well. Um but I think you know for, for as far as we're concerned as well, the Premier League during this independent commission hearing, we're we're very, very keen on on briefing certain friends in the media as well to let them know mm-hmm. we're pushing 12 points. Two days after the Everton Sherman passed away, by the way, did he release that yeah. information? Yeah. So you know first, yeah. whether people like Bill Kenlight or not, a man passed away and the mm-hmm. Premier League were tasteless in their response. So we know somebody else who doesn't sit particularly well. So as much as the commission made the decision to, to deduct 10 points, it, it was a recommendation of the Premier League to take off 12. So they, they were gunning for us, you know, and, and they were very, very mm-hmm. tasteless in, in how they went about it. So there's a lot of lot of anger. There's, there's certainly a lot of anger in the fan base currently. Um, and, and say we, we look forward. We look forward to Sunday on voicing our, our, our dissent, our anger and our opinion in front of the world. 
Well, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it as well. I'm I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to it. And just as a kind of question to anybody, really, does anybody have any faith that Chelsea or Man City will be punished in anywhere near the same way? Because I can't see either of them. The stuff that's coming out about no. Abramovich as well <laughs> is shocking. Not shocking, yeah. but you know, incredible. Um. Yeah. So yeah, anybody any faith that they'll be punished? No financial Not fine. In- that's all it will be, won't it? Yeah, or at worst, a transfer ban. And this is, before I cut off, this is what I was going to say. Like, with, you know, with Chelsea, that you kind of get the feeling that, I've thought this for months now, that you can tell, it's very convenient that they've now pivoted towards this under-25 recruitment strategy because they know, they know a transfer ban could potentially be coming. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect Chelsea. Like, it didn't really affect Chelsea before. Mm -hmm. And if that then comes around to them again, it's not going to affect them again because they've future-proofed themselves by hoovering up all of the young, best talent across Europe over the last season, like uh, this transfer window and the transfer Mm -hmm. window before last summer, as well as in January with the likes of Enzo Fernandez and Mudrik. They're kind of just, they've future-proofed themselves. So if Chelsea get a transfer ban, they'll be like, yeah, that's fine. We've done our business effectively anyway. We've mm-hmm. done it. And it's it's not going to hurt them. You need to like, you need to make it sting with those two. With Everton, it feels very harsh. But with City and Chelsea, if you're going to come down on them, you really need to make it hurt. And otherwise, they're just going to keep getting away with it. Mm-hmm. Well, we will see. We will eagerly wait <laughs> to see what happens here. But Mike, thank you very much for coming onto the pod. We enjoyed having you on. Sorry it wasn't under happier circumstances. But when our viewers and listeners want to find your stuff, where, where can they find you online? On all the usual uh, podcast platforms. So obviously Spotify, Apple, um, across obviously Google. We've obviously on Twitter, at UHT Podcast, Instagram. And Threads, I think Threads is the thing, isn't it? Just about at uh, UHC <laughs> Podcast Everton. Um, so you'll find us, find us on there. Lo- loads of different links for loads of different podcast uh, platforms are available. Beautiful. Thanks for coming on, mate. And we'll have you on again when with better news, hopefully. Yeah, no problem at all. Look forward to it. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Cheers, nice man. Cheers man. Well, I I found that quite that, that was interesting. I think, like Ben, your your thoughts on that? Like, I just feel bad for them, right? The fans have been punished, and when the when mm. the top teams tried to leave the Premier League, they said the fans mustn't be punished, right? That's yeah. what they said. Yeah, it's unbelievable, that isn't it? And again, like uh, me and you are both fans of clubs mm-hmm. that tried to do exactly that, and you know, I was obviously very staunchly against it at the time, and yeah. I believe their line was, "We can't do- we can't deduct points because." It's not a fair. It's not fair on the fans, like you just said, basically, which is just ridiculous. It's unbelievable, and it's kind of they just kind of pick and choose when to use this threat of points deduction, and it kind of feels like Everton have got a bigger points deduction than some teams have got for going into administration. It's just like mm-hmm. it just feels incredibly, incredibly unfair. And like I said before, like they, if Everton have been found to have been, you know kind of their financial fair play has gone awry, then obviously there deserves to be a level of punishment there because every every club in the Premier League has to adhere to the same rules. But unfortunately, not every club in the Premier League is adhering to the same rules. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of creates their own rules in the sense of Man City and Chelsea that they can just get away with it. And Everton feel like the easy team to be picked on because losing Manchester City or Chelsea to the championship or further down the leagues, if that was to happen, that's more damaging to the global brand mm-hmm. global brand of the Premier League than Everton. And Everton, the sad thing about that is that Everton are a big 
club. They were a far more successful club yeah. than than both City and Chelsea before the money came along. Historically, mm-hmm. you know, they both won titles before the money came along for these two clubs. You know, they were part of that established, you know, big. They were one of the first like football in clubs in England. Like they were one exactly. of the first. Yeah. Like they've been there. Like yeah. and you know, still one of the only teams to never be relegated. Right. Like this is like a, a huge team, and it's just yeah, it's all completely financially driven. But Adam, I think the the really interesting potential here is the teams that were relegated and their legal case mm. because we saw it yeah. with. Now, we saw it with West Ham, Sheffield United with the Tevez-Mascarano case. We saw it with Derby and Middlesbrough. There was like an attempted case there about the playoffs, right? Um, Mm. Do you think that... Because I was reading something that said that if they do sue, it will be the Premier League that has to pay, not Everton. Like, Do you think there'll be any any legs in this? Because they're rightly... They have a right to be really pissed off about this. I think they have a right to be pissed off, but then... (laughs) It really boils down to um, how stringent the actual Premier League is around this kind of ruling. Mm-hmm. I think, it, like we've kind of said, we hope that it has a knock-on effect in terms of the Chelsea and the Man City cases. Although they are slightly different in certain ways, um, we're talking about sustainability here. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Because um, there was a good example of my own club, Wickham, where we got relegated in a season that Derby had... Uh, made fictitious kind of amounts around the players' valuations and uh, subsequently they stayed up but weren't really given any ramifications for it and mm-hmm. Wickham kind of pleaded that, you know, that we should have been owed something if we'd gone down and we'd abided by the books. So I think it's um, it's a very dangerous precedent. But again, that was the whole point of financial fair play and the whole, the whole beginning of it was to kind of encourage that stability with clubs to work within their means um but just to kind of paint that picture of how bad that period was for everton um there's a good graphic by kieran Maguire who does the podcast mm-hmm. the price of football since the fruition of the premier league everton are currently third in the amount of loss that they've made in a premier league season so their total is 491 355 million was what they occurred from that 2017 to 2022 Damn. period, which is what is being scrutinized here. Mm-hmm. So um, that goes to show you how much mismanagement Mashiri mm-hmm. and co have done badly at Everton. And ultimately I think great point by Ben was the fans suffer. The fans really mm-hmm. do suffer here and um, it's unfortunate, but yeah, back to your point though, Rory, I think it's going to be really difficult around how you manage this uh, piece. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately there'll be some level of compensation but what, whether that's suitable enough, it'll be another matter. Um, but yeah, I suspect if they give more subscriptions to Amazon, then that will cover it or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've set they've set themselves a lot of work over the next ten years, whatever it is, because they yeah. are going to be judged. Every single decision is going to be scrutinised even more now in terms of punishment for like obviously the Man City case is so much more complicated than the Everton case that has to be said as well. It's a lot more complicated. Yeah. But Man City can also afford better lawyers, and that's pretty simple. Um, with yeah. Chelsea, I was reading today that Abramovich, I read that Eden Hazard, did you hear this? Eden Hazard had agreed to join Arsenal. His family wanted him to join Arsenal. He wanted to join Arsenal. And then his agent was paid $7 million by a company that Abramovich owned. And all of a sudden, he goes oh. to Chelsea. Um, all of this stuff is coming out now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the Premier League have got a lot to deal with. Um, 
But we're going to leave Everton there for now, yeah. um, and we'll keep up on we'll keep on top of that story, of course. And we're going to go with the European roundup. Um, Adam, should we start with? Should we get England out of the way? Well, yeah, might as well. They're drawing one-one, so that's uh, I don't know if that's positive news now, but we might as well talk about how mundane that game was on Friday because um, that seemed to be a topic of the dads in our football group as well. We were talking on the sidelines while our boys were playing, and. We couldn't believe how defensively minded Southgate was for this particular match. And boy, did they struggle. I don't know about you guys, but they made Malta look like they were higher up the rankings. It was a terrible yeah. match. I feel that. And Ben, I'll get your I'll get your opinion as well. I felt like this game is it, it took me all the way back to like qualifiers under Capello or under yeah. like McLaren, oh, where God. I just did not give a shiny shite about England. <laughs> I would watch yeah. anything other than this game. And that is partly because there was nothing on the game. Right. It's a meaningless play game at this point. We've qualified. But I was really disappointed in just the lack of effort that I saw. From the, from the England players that were picked. There was a few players that were given opportunities and they just did not look interested at all. Like, Ben, do you think this is... Is this Southgate? Is this a squad? Is this a circumstances? What do you think? I think it's a. I think it's kind of a mix of all three. I actually think England's equaliser got disallowed, by the way, so it's still 1-0 to Macedonia yes, at the moment. It, yeah. It's um, Which is just... Yeah, I, that's another problem in itself. But, like, Friday night was just... It felt like... One of those games, like you said, it took you back to qualifiers 10 years ago, kind of pre-Southgate. It just was so, so flat. I've spoken before like quite a few times about how these games, like part of the problem, I think, is that they, they just shouldn't be at Wembley. Like there's, I think there's a prob- <laughs> yeah, yeah. real problem with that because it's like you can say what you want about, oh, it might have been a packed house or whatever, but the atmosphere at Wembley is for England qualifier games are so flat. And th- these are a really good opportunity to kind of like go up and down the country, engage fans who don't often get to watch England play live in the flesh, that is, and kind of actually create a bit of atmosphere and kind of give, you know, it's not an excuse for the players to kind of like, excuse me, be like a little bit off it or a little bit sloppy or a little bit flat, but like it can't help when you're kind of going out at like your national stadium and everything just like, it's so, so, so flat. But taking that away, the performance was just really, really poor. Like Malta... You know, they had they had the kind of better of the chances in like the first ten minutes. It was a couple of like decent shots from outside the box, and you just thought, not that I never thought it was going to be one of those nights where England didn't win, but it just felt as if like that kind of sets the tone, and mm-hmm. it should be one of those. It should set the tone in a way that's like, right, switch on now, kind of like a bit of a rocket up your ass, like. Yeah. That's a like when San Marino goal. scored against us. San Marino got the first one like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just like right, that can't happen. But it was just so pedestrian. And I think the only kind of bit of excitement in the game came in the second half when I think Southgate realised he had to make a tactical change and he moved Foden into the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's where Foden started tonight. And I think that's when things started to click a little bit more because you, in a player like Foden, as much as you know he plays on the wing for Man City, I think in his heart of hearts, I think he wants to be in the middle of the pitch, being involved, drifting in between the lines, kind of playing in those half spaces. And I think that's what you saw in the second half. And he was the only real shining light. I thought Rashford was dreadful. Like he has mm. been, he has been, I, it makes the whole like Raheem Sterling question even more baffling, really. I know we yeah. kind of touched on this last week in the Chelsea game, but he just, it wasn't his night. And I don't want to kind of, it was a game against Malta, a qualifier that, you know, it was an important victory for qualifying in pot one or that's what all the players come out and said after the game because mm. they kind of have to. But like, 
you know, it wasn't a nothing game, but it just felt like this is a real opportunity to kind of hand appearances to some of these younger players. You've got Cole Palmer, who's been playing really well. I know he came off the bench, but just give just give it something. Give it like a fresh injection, mm. a little mm. bit of excitement that those dull kind of Wembley Friday nights in like November against let so-called like lesser sides always yeah. need. You need something. And especially where it's not kind of, especially like without Jude Bellingham, because Jude Bellingham, I think naturally in that team gives you that impetus and kind of gives mm-hmm. you that drive. That's what he's all about. And he's a, he's the kind of showman in that England team. Um, and I think England kind of really lacked that, but it was just, it's, it's just a strange, strange situation. And I was talking on another podcast about this earlier, about how the fact that like, you've got this weird situation where everyone's kind of like, um, pessimistic about England at the moment because of the fact that we're not playing great football. It's quite turgid to watch. Everything just feels a bit flat. Everything feels like it needs a bit mm. of a change. But if you cast your minds forward to like the Euros in however many months we are away now, mm. next summer, everyone kind of considers England as like, oh, this is the tournament now. This is the one yeah. that we should go and mm-hmm. win. And I think there's a sense like within the England fan base about that as well. And like I kind of... Mm find myself getting caught up in that a little bit as well but that's only really because of the talent that we've got but we've been here before but it's been so many tournaments where it's just like we've had that really talented group of players but and I do it's just not I do think it's different this time I do think yeah. and, and this is where it gets you again right I do think <laughs> yeah. it's different this time but because I think we do have a certain level of, of performance at, at tournaments mm. under Southgate and I think I will always try and defend Southgate because I think he's been one of the best England managers in history beyond yeah, me Ralph Ramsey and Bobby Robson. Like he's there, if you know what I mean? So I think, and the fact we're so annoyed about beating Malta 2-3-0, whatever, 2-0, and it only being 2-0, says about the fact that how much he's raised standards in the group and how much he has raised standards for fans. Like, so I think there is also a positive to this, I suppose, and maybe I'm just trying to find it. But like, um, yeah, Adam, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to completely disagree and say okay. this is a huge, huge opportunity for Southgate to have just played around with his tactics. Now, this is the thing that I bang on on this pod so much about with Southgate. I do appreciate what he's achieved. I think, yeah, he's definitely got that kind of club mentality with the team that didn't exist prior to his appointment. Um, but there was a huge opportunity where with Malta, you can play players like Eze and let him make mistakes at this kind of stage. And then you can rely on certain individuals to like mop up if needs be. And I don't feel like he properly explores the players before the tournament. So when it comes to an injury, for example, that suddenly happens, then we're kind of scrambling around. Do you remember mm-hmm. there was that kind of piece around right backs where we didn't really understand yeah, which yeah. right back we were going to play? And it, I think there was a few players that we tried out in that right-hand side position. We had Reese James, Trent Alexander-Arnold. I seem to remember Carl Walker was played there, mm-hmm. Kieran Trippier. So you had four different right-backs at one stage playing throughout the group stages. And we were none the wiser. We didn't seem to find that balance. And I think that's the kind of things that he needs to be looking at. We It wasn't like, even if we draw that match, if we'd gone out and played really expansively and we learned about certain players that maybe they're not suited for this occasion great, then you've learned something out of it. But mm-hmm. don't tell me that this wasn't an opportunity because they don't get many like get-togethers, right? And this is a problem. Going into that spell where we're talking about now players playing 100 minutes per game now for their clubs, right? And the amount of games that they're playing. Come that period, if there's a lot of players that are out with ACLs or other injuries, 
then we are starting to struggle. And I think like we should have introduced players like Braithwaite, for example, at Everton, actually, in a centre-back position. That would have been a huge opportunity mm-hmm. just for us to learn about him. But he seems to stick with these favourites, like we said about Rashford, Maguire, etc. Don't get me wrong, they seem to appear and they really turn up for Southgate. But I think that's where he gets found out sometimes. And even if it's not that, just play a different formation. Just try something different. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Malta, let's be honest... That's the level we're talking about. They could have explored that and they just don't seem to do it on these occasions. And it wasn't like there was a lot on the line. If it was the scenario, for example, then I could understand it. You play it safe. But this was the opportunity for Southgate. It it, it was a complete free hit. Well, England have now equalised and it's an own goal by Adtanasov, I want to say. So it is level now, one all. Um, It kind of, Ben, I'm going to go to you. It kind of feels like the... If England don't win this evening, there's only 34 minutes left. Um, that all the excitement or a lot of the excitement might have gone heading into the Euros, right? Yeah, I agree. Because it's like it's kind of like just pulling the air out of a balloon, isn't it? Yeah. Especially where this is the last, you know, I've got sick of talking about international breaks given the fact that we've had like three already before the end of the season. <laughs> like so like, but the fact that we're now going into it. We're now going into a period where we're not England don't play again until March, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like you said, it's kind of just sucking out all of that momentum and kind of, you know, there's this feeling of not animosities may be too strong, but like there is this kind of uncomfortable conversation that is now kind of being had around Gareth Southgate, and then you don't want to leave that to fester for like the next five months before England then play again because. Mm-hmm. It will just leave people this result. You know, England could go and score in the next five minutes, but like it's not, it's not even about the results for me. It's about the kind of performances. Mm-hmm. And I think there has been an element to which there is this kind of reliance sometimes on the good feeling towards England at tournaments because the whole country kind of really comes together and kind of gets behind the team. And we can't be reliant on that all the time. You have to go and deliver sometimes. And I've like, like you said, Rory, like I've always been. I've always been very sympathetic and always quite defensive of Gareth Southgate because he's, you know, he's brought that connection back to the fans and kind of really broken down barriers between the squad and the public and all that. And it's great. But this will be his fourth tournament now. Um, yeah, and yeah. that's mm-hmm. this this isn't to say by any means that he hasn't delivered because, you know, you can only you can sometimes you can only come so close. And like you look at the World Cup, for example, like that the the, the first World Cup, sorry, 2018, yeah. like there was no expectation for England to do, even do anything in that tournament. We all mm-hmm. thought maybe quarterfinals at best and probably go out to a better team and get on with it. But like the fact that we got so close and it almost kind of brought everyone closer together for the Euros. And then again, there was that sense after the Euros, there, you know, there was a, there was questions thrown at Southgate after that final about, you know, should he have taken Declan Rice off? There was a few yeah, tactical yeah. things, but also it was his first final. You're allowed to make mistakes as a manager. And, but the problem is with international football is that those finals only come around so often. And like yeah. you said, Adam, like you don't you don't get that long with the players. Um, yeah. So I think this is the chance now because, like like you said before, like I think it is different now with England because he actually has gone and shown that we can go and go deep in tournaments. And I do think it's not necessarily now about the quality of the squad because that's been there for th- for two or three years. Yeah. That that depth and that quality has been there. But I'm now looking at the mentality of some of the players, and you've got. 
like a Harry Kane, for example, who you can never question, you know, whether he's won a trophy or not is, is irrelevant. Like you can't yeah, yeah, question yeah. his <laughs> mentality. And yeah. like with Bellingham as well, like he's got the world at his feet. And you do think those are the two players that you're kind of pinning all your hopes on and all of the other talent kind of falls into place around that. So I'd, I still think we're in a good place going into the tournament, but it's just like these games, like like you said, I if England lost tonight, but you went out and played quite an experimental team, and you tried, and um, the goalkeeper had a good a good night for uh, Macedonia. Kind of come away with thinking, yeah, we lost. We shouldn't be losing to these teams, but at least he tried something different. Yeah. Like you've got to learn things from these players. And like you said, what would England do? I know you've got Lee Watkins, but if you're actually Harry Kane, maybe isn't the best example, but someone else who's so key in that team. If you were to get an injury, say in midfield, like Declan Rice, I think is a good example yeah, yeah, yeah. because people always kind of say about, there's always a massive conversation to be had around Calvin Phillips and his inclusion in the squad. Mm-hmm. And I might contradict myself a little bit here, but like, I actually think Calvin Phillips is quite a good member, like a good important member of that squad because realistically, if you lost Declan Rice, who else would you play there? Yeah, he's the next in line, isn't he really? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you need to kind of like, I know he rested Rice on Friday, but like give, Give Phillips the chance. Like, give if you're gonna yeah. like if you're gonna keep picking Phillips, then play him. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you don't need to, you don't need to be picking. If you're gonna rest Declan Rice, then play Phillips because you don't need to. You've seen everything you need to see from Jordan Henderson. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, we've all seen everything we need to like, see from Jordan Henderson. Exactly. Um, yeah. it's, it's a tricky. It's a tricky one, but like, it, yeah, it's a it's a weird feeling I think at the moment as an England fan because, like mm. I said at the start, like. We're still optimistic going into the Euros. I still think we've got a really good chance of winning it. But the feeling at the moment is just like, oh, it's just it's, it's just, getting a bit tiresome now, I think. I think it's unfortunate timing because France went out and like <laughs> absolutely demolished Gibraltar 14 yeah. nil. And you're like, yeah, oh crap, I forgot France still exists. Like, and then you're yeah, like, oh, that is I know it's like 10-man Gibraltar, but it was 10-man Malta, right? And it's like you should really mm. be absolutely putting these to bed. And like I yeah, think 100%. It we yeah it was a it was an unfortunate weekend for Gareth with like the Holland Globe Globe Trotters turning up in Gibraltar and doing their thing like I think that was it just kind of puts it into a bit more contrast I suppose um, but yes I think anything else to say on England I think I'm, I'm happy to talk about Italy now really um, I think yeah England will be there as will or as should. Italy, it's currently nil nil um, in Germany. Uh, Ukraine, Italy, nil nil. But Italy eventually got the job done against North Macedonia. They kind of lifted a curse. They put themselves mm. in a far too tense situation, being three nil up and then managing to endeavour to concede two goals to eventually win it five two and make it look fairly comfortable. Adam, were you impressed? By Italy's performance, it was just like a six-minute lapse in concentration, really. It was, wasn't it? But there were some individually like brilliant performances. The likes of Federico Chiesa oh. looks a different level. That was the Chiesa we knew from, from the, the Euros. Euros. For that was Euro yeah, yeah, this is, Chiesa, that, that was his. That was yeah. his levels. And then Raspadori as well. Oh. I thought his connection with Barella for that fourth goal. That was an incredible move. That was absolutely beautiful. But it did feel like Italy had a more fluid kind of motion about them. They did seem a bit more creative, Rory. I know you Mm -hmm. watch more of this game, but they they did seem like they were more kind of buying into that Spalletti kind of Mm -hmm. philosophy now. Um, And it feels like they're probably just 
playing this as a nil-nil just to get a draw, just to get well, over doing what at they, the moment. It does the feel Italians like Italians don't do anything more than they need to do. Exactly. Just the Nil-nil. Coming right but up. Um, what was your takeout from the game as well? Because I thought it was interesting, the lineup as well. Like, I didn't expect Scatti, for example, at the back, um, but he had a good performance, it has to be said. I mean... You that know, guy's you, career is really impressive about what way. he does at Juventus, but yeah, mm-hmm. he did all right, didn't he? Well, he's he's worked his way up from Serie D at like mm-hmm. a very yeah. very old age, and now he's playing in Italy for Italy, and it's like insane. I thought he did, I thought he did pretty well. It was nice to see Darmian get on the score sheet. This was a win kind of created by Inter as well. There was a Darmian goal, two Demarco uh, assists, two Barella assists. Yes. So there was a lot yeah. of that Inter kind of. Um, magic in there but I think you're right Spalletti is starting to get the players he he's starting to implement that system now mm. he's starting to figure out what his squad is he's experimenting so like you said playing Gatti and Damian and kind of seeing what people can do but I think that Chiesa Raspadori Berardi front three Looks. showed a lot of promise I still think Skamaka if he continues the form he's been having this season for Atalanta is a bit of a more solid option than Raspadori but I think that front three is what we could see heading into the tournament for Italy if they should get there. Um, also, Bonaventura, I thought, was fantastic. He was really unlucky not to score. Really, really unlucky not to score. Yeah. Um, but I think, again, in that midfield, Barella was just absolutely balling out at times like he does. It was a real absolute... It was a pleasure to watch him. I absolutely love him anyway, but I thought he was fantastic. Mm. Um, and it should have been more comfortable. Jorginho missed his fifth penalty in a row for the Italian <laughs> national team. Um, but Spalletti still said he will step up and he will be taking the next one, um, which all of my friends, um, Inter Milan, no matter who they supported, were cursing Jorginho and just saying, him and his fucking penalties, will you take him off the penalty? <laughs> for God's sake, it was his missed penalty against Macedonia last time that cost them the World Cup place, I think. Um, so yeah, it wasn't great from him, but Spalletti really starting to do things here. Um, but the problem is they did still concede two goals and there was a lapse in concentration. There is a thing of when I was watching, whenever I watch this Italy team, I think, okay, quarterfinals, um, maybe semifinals if you make a run at it. Because when they come up against bigger sides, we saw that they never really caused a problem to England, not properly. No. Um so I think when they come up against the kind of bigger sides, they might be found out like Ben. Obviously, I think Italy, we still think of them winning the Euros, but it was a long time ago. Like, when you saw them against England, were you impressed at all? Like, Yeah, it's a funny one, really, because like you said, they didn't really cause England to... They kind of exploited... In that first half of the game against England, they really exploited that weakness down England's left-hand mm-hmm. side, and that's kind of where the goal from came from, yeah. from Skamaka. Um, I, can't exact, I can't remember the exact Italy team that played against England. I feel mm-hmm. like there was quite a few players maybe potentially missing. So I don't yeah, think yeah, from memory it wasn't yeah. Italy at their best. Um, but then when you add like Chiesa to that team, it becomes completely different. He just gives you that injection of something else. And like you mentioned, he was an absolute star in the Euros when they did win it. But Italy have always been a funny team that like w- when I was when I was a kid, they were this far more like in, maybe they because of the defense, they had this really imposing kind of you know, you had your Cannavaros, Maldinis, etc. You had this really imposing side. And I don't necessarily think they're 
viewed in the same way anymore, which I think almost in a way kind of helped them in the Euros when they won it because mm-hmm. they almost snuck under the radar a little bit. Like everyone yeah, thought, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, no, Italy will mm-hmm. decent time. Like you said, quarterfinals, maybe semifinals at a push. And I could sort of see a similar thing happening this time around next year um, because I think, like you said, that attack especially is starting to click a little bit now as well. Chiesa is just fantastic. He is just like those two goals. I'm not sure. I still can't work out if the second one took a little bit of a deflection. I think it did, but it it looks amazing. Yeah, I, I looked away. Ones. I was like, oh, it's gone over. I thought it was and then he was celebrating. Ball. I was like, what a finish. That was I insane. Know. But insane. The, first, the technique on the first one, even if that second one took a deflection, yeah. but like even with that second one, he still gets in those positions and you still fancy mm. him to score when he goes one-on-one yeah. against a defender like that. He's just, he's an incredible, incredible player. Um, but I think it's more at the back. Like you said, the kind of lapse in concentration to concede those two goals in the second half. And that can happen. You can get complacent when you're so in control like they were in that mm. first half. It was all literally. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it can happen, but at the end of the day, like at a tournament, that is going to cost you. So mm-hmm. you, you'd imagine, obviously, they want to stand that out before it comes around. And I think Italy's sides have always been very disciplined in tournaments for the most part. So you'd imagine that is something that when it gets to crunch time yeah, yeah. in Germany in six months' time or whatever, when that, when that rolls around, then you do feel like that is something they possibly would have eradicated from their game. And if they can do that, with the midfield they've got as well, Barella, like you said about Barella, he's just like if he's not if he's not world class, then he's very much on that border. I think he's. I, just I like, honestly, I I think no, he I, might be. I have him top five midfielders in the world. Honestly, yeah, I, I don't think, think there's many midfielders that can do what so he can do. So underrated, he's yeah, so yeah. underrated because he plays in Serie A, and I think yeah. when Inter played in the Champions League last year, a lot of people were like holy crap, like this guy yeah. is like, and especially yeah. in the final, he was incredible in the final as well. Yeah. I think he is one of the most all-round midfielders, he can just do everything. He does everything yeah. and he does it with a little flick and a bit of confidence and swagger and he fights mm. and he's... I absolutely love him. I pray that one day Arsenal bring him whenever we're linked <laughs> with him. I was like, just give him 200 million. I don't care. I want him in an Arsenal shirt. He is incredible. But Adam, I wanted to talk about Chiesa as well. Obviously mm-hmm. at Juve, he's very much on a leash. Is it <laughs> the fact that Spalletti <laughs> has let him off the leash? Because he looked like yeah. old school Chiesa. Yeah, I think there was, um, prior to the match, um, what was it, Spalletti was kind of quizzed by the press around what he wanted to do with this Italy team. And in particular, he says he wants them to kind of make the memories. He wants them to kind of love playing for the national side because I think that's kind of been, kind of gone a little bit by the wayside by the performances of the latest campaigns. But yeah, you could see that, you know, Chiesa's being let, to have that kind of freedom he's allowing him to kind of do the runs and I think under Allegri we know he's very strict he has a certain style you have to kind of be defensive minded and that doesn't really suit his game and I think the irony was that there was a lot of rumours that potentially Keza might be kind of allowed to leave uh, Juventus in January, which is so alarming when you think he's probably one of the most talented attacking (laughs) players they've got but when you look at his record at Juventus, <laughs> it's not brilliant, is it, this season? Because no, you no. play it against other strikers and they're scoring more goals than him. But that's not to do with Chiesa. It's just the way he has to play. I mean, he's mm. had to play bloody right back half the time as well. So <laughs> yeah. that's not his natural game. So, yeah, I, uh, let's see what happens with him and Juventus. But if there is an opportunity, I think there'll be a hell of a lot of clubs Any... waiting and purring for him. I mean, Spurs, you're yep. very self we'll as very well. Much, we'll very very much have him. You'd love to have him there. So, um, yeah, welcome to the Premier League Federico Chiesa I tell you what he <laughs> would absolutely love the Premier League as well I reckon he'd absolutely yeah, tear yeah. it up 
Um, but yeah, great to see him back in form. Italy getting a massive win. Putting that ghost to bed was really important because there was just so... I, I feel like every time I watch Italy, I've seen him in the stadium a few times, psychologically, when it when the mood shifts, it really affects them. Yeah, and that shirt nervous. weighs pretty heavy pretty quickly, but it's good to see them get that job done. Um, elsewhere in the internationals, very quickly... Um, Ireland did their bit and frigging lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they had to do. If they lost, they could still qualify. But it turns out, no, uh, Slovakia go and win and Ireland leave with a whimper. Um, I'm so glad this qualification period is just done now. We can just put this campaign behind. I've got to wait another potential four years to potentially see Ireland in a fight in a, in a tournament. Um, Stephen Kenny is all but fired at this point. I don't think we'll see him on the bench again. Um, and I was saying to you off, off camera, uh, Adam, it was just another performance yeah. where Ireland were decent, but just not decent enough. Like, yeah. and if Vout Veghorst running from the halfway line to score isn't a sign of a defense <laughs> throw in a game in order to lose, I do not know what is because that was fucking embarrassing. Um, yeah. but. Yeah, it's done. I suppose no yeah. more, no more heartache for Ireland fans. We can just look forward to twenty twenty six, baby. That's the one. <laughs> Bring it on, <laughs> the USA. Let's make sure we're there. Um, Genuine yeah. question, though, Rory. Who do you want to like take over Stephen uh, Kenny? Because there's not many candidates, right? Um, I don't. All I know is I don't want Mick McCarthy. I don't want <laughs> the people that are being linked with the job because all the FAI are doing is going. Oh well, they did well last time. Let's get Martin O'Neill yeah. again. That'll be good. Um, get the gang back together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think the only name I've seen that I'm slightly excited about is Lee Carsley, who's the under twenty ones at England. Mm. Um, obviously, played for Ireland at international level. Um, I think there's been he's basically been linked with the job for a while, and I'd be surprised if talks haven't taken place. So I think he's someone I would be relatively excited about. He's done a really good job with England under twenty ones. But yeah. I also wouldn't be surprised if England might have a pathway for him because they're trying mm. to do that with Southgate yeah. and, you know, coaching the under-18s, coaching the under-21s, bring it through that way. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But he's the only name I've seen where I've been vaguely excited. If they go and get fucking Mick McCarthy or Sam Allardyce or some agricultural manager, it'll just undo what work Stephen Kenny has done. And yes, while yeah. it hasn't... While we haven't picked up points and we haven't, it just hasn't been good enough. What we have done is change our style of play. We've brought through a lot of young players. Um, there's a bit of a club feel about it. There's a bit of a like, you know, mm. this is a group coming through together. There's a lot of exciting prospects in Irish football at the moment, not just Sinclair at QPR, but you've got Ogbeni at Luton. You've got Jason Knight. There's a lot of exciting young players Soon, in that squad. So yeah. I think we need a manager who's going to get the most out of them. I don't just want someone who's going to go back to kick and rush. As much as I enjoyed watching us beat Germany 1-0 that one time, the <laughs> other 20 games are horrific watching. <laughs> like, it's you can't wheel out Neil, um, Neil Niall Quinn even for no, his uh, exactly. one random header or whatever it is. But exactly, yeah, no. and we can't play Italy every week. We can't. They're the only team we seem to beat, so we yeah. can't play them every week. Um, but yeah. I'm gutted for Stephen Kenny because he did so well for Dundalk. Like my League of mm. Ireland team, my mum's team, he yeah. did so well for them. I was really hoping it would go well for him. It just didn't work out. But I think it won't be long before we see him in another job in club management because he is in the Football League in England somewhere. I've seen him linked with a few jobs already. Um, 
so it would be good to see him recover. But yeah, Ireland, it's done. Um, Adam, Poland, they struggled, right? Uh, yeah, they're probably going to have a similar fate, Rory. Um, struggled to a degree. It was um, They took the lead against the Czech Republic, which was what they needed to do. And then immediately in the second half conceded, Thomas Suchek slides past Wojciech Szczesny. And to be fair, it was a pretty poor second half. Um, Czech Republic should have probably scored another, to be fair. They had about three or four opportunities. Poland just struggled to do anything. Lewandowski's so off form at the moment, and you can tell that's probably his last kind of outing for Poland. He will play in a friendly against Latvia, but there's rumours that this could be the worst attended game for Poland in over a decade. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, look, we can't say anything more than the Polish FA have got everything to blame for because mm-hmm. they got Fernando Santos at the beginning of the campaign. He was awful for Portugal and he was the most well-paid coach in the whole of Europe uh, compared to everyone else. So this includes Gareth Southgate. He get he got more than Gareth Southgate and, yeah, really poor performances by Poland. So we don't deserve to be anywhere near the championship regardless um we had a poor world cup uh, i was embarrassed by that and um, pretty far it was fun though yeah mcnevich <laughs> ball just made allegri look more attacking didn't it um <laughs> but yeah otherwise yeah it's it's a pretty bad spell for poland and Zelinski couldn't play because he had it was kind of called as a fever initially and then he got signed off by the doctors having angina which is really strange Damn. for him to have yeah. that so um Saw hopefully that. he recovers i think it's clearly the uh, like climate in naples is different to poland when he got to poland he was shivering his ass off basically <laughs> he's not used to it anymore <laughs> yeah he's, gone he's not used to it yeah that polish blood <laughs> gone out of him clearly um but yeah um pretty poor out in for poland yeah we don't need to dwell on it too much uh, well, well we'll we'll see him we'll we'll get him at the next one, eh? We'll get him at the next one. <laughs> well, Ben, I wanted to the last story we wanted to discuss mm. was Gavi today or mm. yesterday, last night, right? Um for Spain, yeah. Torres ACL, uh complete tear. Um, and it looks like he's now gonna miss the Euros. He's gonna be out for nine months. Um now I don't know about you, but every international break I saw, I also saw an article about how Gavi has been <laughs> overplayed. Mm-hmm. Is this the most predictable injury of all time? it feels yeah it felt like it was on the cards obviously it's a really sad situation you don't Mm -hmm. want to see especially a young player on the eve of a tournament that could potentially maybe be the making of them as well like Mm -hmm. there's been so much excitement around the likes of like gavry gavi pedri and it just it's a it's a real shame but that's kind of been the over overwhelming reaction that i've seen from a lot of people on twitter and everything basically saying it's like this was coming and it kind of one thing it made me think of is you look at um, Guardiola and Foden, for example, Foden is obviously only twenty three. There was always, there was always kind of, um, there was always people like whether it was City fans or like England fans that wanted to see like more of Foden going into tournaments and stuff like that, and because there was so much hype around him. But it makes you realize how well I know Pep's got the squad; he can afford to do that. But like how well he actually managed Foden as a young player, and we've not really yeah. seen Foden spend that much time out injured or have like a significant injury. So to answer your question, like this is. A, like you know i don't think anyone it's hard to predict like a acl but like it was no surprise really that he's been ruled out with like a long-term yeah. injury and it's a shame it's a real shame because he is such a talent but i think there's it 
you know, I, I talk quite a lot about some of the young kids at Spurs and stuff like that, and people are so eager to see them and kind of come in and, mm. you know, because there is so much hype and excitement around young players, but it's like you have to manage them. You have to be really, really careful. And I think, unfortunately, for someone like Gavi, he kind of got caught up in a bit of a storm at Barca because they were kind of going through that transition and there was, you know, so much kind of... um I guess like hastiness and kind of excitement to kind of rebuild that team in the, in the model of like Javi and Iesta and Busquets in that midfield. And it's like, well, we've got these guys that are coming through in the Academy. Let's just make them, yeah. you know, and rightly so like they've, they've got the talent. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Like whether they can go and achieve that level is another thing, but you have to be really, really careful about how you manage these young players. And I don't think I made a video about this earlier, like talking about how it was one year ago today since the start of the world cup. And football just hasn't really been the same since then. Like the amount of injuries that we've seen since the World Cup has been frightening, really. I think it was like the amount of hamstring injuries in the Premier League are up by like 55% compared to last year. Like you think about how the fact that, I know obviously we're talking about Gavi in this example, but like, especially with the Premier League, we went straight back in. Our first Premier League game was on Boxing Day after the World Cup, a week after the World Cup final, whereas I think the Bundesliga got like a month break. Mm -hmm. and I think some of the other European leagues did as well. Um, so it's a massive problem around Europe and I think it's I don't know how I don't know how you solve it because it's quite tricky when players come out and say about how we feel like we're playing too much football we're being carted off all over Europe playing these tournaments and you know flying is not good for recovery and all this kind of stuff and sometimes it comes across as like well you're in a very privileged position you earn a lot of money blah 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 but like they're right they are right and the thing is nothing is going to change if they don't speak up about it or UEFA and FIFA don't do anything because now you've got a Champions League next year, which is two more rounds in the group stage than it has been before. You've got a World Cup that's expanded to 48 teams in 2026. So the kind of the amount of games is going to get even more and more. And like, you're just going to end up... The Club World Cup kicking off soon. The bloody Infantino's insistent on. Like, the amount of football is only going to increase. And I... Sorry, but that argue, like you said, and people do say, "Oh, we're well, getting paid three hundred grand a week, run around." Like, if you get paid a million a week, it doesn't make a difference to your hamstrings and to your no, back no. and to your knees. Like, at some point, there's only so much the human body can do, yeah, <laughs> regardless robots. of what you're paid, right? And you're at the very, very elite of your field. You are training every day of the week to the maximum you can. Like, I think there has to be a conversation about it at some point, and unfortunately, until you get a raft of serious injuries. FIFA and UEFA aren't going to face up and do anything about it because they'll just be able, well, injuries are part of football. That's what happens. Yeah. So it's going to take something really serious to happen for them to even start to think about reducing numbers of games because all I can't keep up with the amount of competitions that are being launched at the minute. There's the African Super League just finished the other week. Like There's all sorts of shite starting. Yeah, And it just feels like, yeah, this has been coming for a while. This has been coming for a while. I feel really, really bad for Gavi because it's just, it's horrible. See, and ACLs are really difficult injuries to get over. Like some players don't get over them. Like they're really big injuries. Um, So we'll, we'll see, I suppose. And yeah, our thoughts are with Gavi and hopefully we'll see him on the field again soon enough. Um, but I think that's it. all the international action. I'm going to quickly go through the results at the minute. Northern Ireland are beating Denmark 2-0, by the way. Oh, um, wow. But Kazakhstan are losing to Slovenia. If they bloody win, they could have qualified automatically. I'm so angry That'd about that. Um, but yeah. yeah, Northern Ireland 2-0. Goals from Isaac Price and Dion, Dion Charles. Uh, Denmark are already qualified, mm. I think, so they don't give a crap about that. Mm. Um 
Italy, Ukraine is still nil-nil. England, North Estonia is still 1-1. Adam, are there any other games you want to talk about? I don't think so. I was just trying to look through it. I don't think there was anything to stand out. I mean, we can kind of talk about France and that 14-0 win against Gibraltar, but... I feel sorry for Gibraltar in this instance. I felt sorry for them at half time. Technically, it would have been better for them to have taken the bus and forfeited the game because then they would yeah. have lost by a smaller margin. That's how bad it was for <laughs> Gibraltar. Um, but yeah, it didn't look too pretty. Um, like some of it was a bit tasteless, I thought. <laughs> like some of it, like the, the celebrations from Mbappe and Giroud, they went properly mental. And it was like, <laughs> yeah. guys, come on, man. Like it's 10 man Gibraltar. I get yeah. it. But like, I don't, I don't really get like this. But fourteen nil against ten men. I feel like at some point you've got to be like, okay, Basta, let's stop, please. This is cool. Yeah, it's like that Simpsons mean. He's already dead. I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah it reminded um, me like seeing the Mbappe celebrations reminded me of when Spurs played Marine in the FA Cup and Carlos Vinicius when he scored the hat trick was busting out the Mbappe <laughs> celebration after smashing the ball in from like two yards on the line. It was just like. It was crazy. It was just like, it didn't it was there was a video that came out, I think, from half time where like they were saying about, oh no, the record's 10 0, I think, in a European qualifier. He was like, you yeah. can, you can like absolutely smash this, just go for it. And I think they just showed like no mercy whatsoever. Wow. Yeah, zero fucking mercy, zero yeah. mercy. Poor Gibraltar, poor Gibraltar. But yeah, but incredibly frightening performance from France still. Like you just realize how bloody good they are. They are massively the favorites for me for the tournament next summer. But you know, Gareth's boys, they're the ones to challenge. We will see. We'll be there. But to finish guys, we are going to go for um, every so often we do a tweet that actually gets attention. And this week we had a tweet <laughs> that got a bit of attention, which was footballers who were much better for their country than they were domestically. We had some great um, some yeah. great nominations, mainly the ones were like James Rodriguez was mentioned a lot, um, Vargas for Chile, um, mm-hmm. a lot of Wales players. I put up Miroslav Closer because um, I feel like his club career was always pretty average. And I always forget he played for Lazio for so long. Yeah. Um, but then obviously for Germany, got more goals than Ronaldo at World Cups, which yeah. still makes me angry a little bit. Um, but obviously an incredible player for Germany. Ben, when you think of players who were much better internationally than domestically, who comes to mind? Well, like that's interesting that you say about Wales, because a few of them came to mind straight away, like Hal robson Carnu, mm-hmm. Kiefer Moore. Um, to a far lesser extent, like there's been players, I think for Wales, especially that have turned up maybe, like you think of like, this is a bad example because he was in, had an incredible club career as well. But even like Gareth Bale, who like really turned up and dragged that Wales team to tournaments and through tournaments, but he doesn't really get in there. But like Hal Robson, Carnu, and Kiefer Moore, I think were quite good shouts. The one that I was thinking of was another German player, and it was Podolski because Ooh. like mm-hmm. Podolski had a bit like a bit like closer. Like he had yeah, a yeah. good club career. Like if you look if you look through Podolski's record, like scored a decent amount of goals everywhere he went. But like it just felt like at every tournament. For Germany, mm. he just turned up. I remember the 2010 World Cup where Germany mm. beat England 4-1 in the round of 16, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And he was just like, he was always just seen as like their most threatening and exciting player. But like closer is up there as well. Like mm-hmm. for England, you'd probably say, you'd probably say someone like Maguire really because he always seems to, <laughs> yeah, there's that yeah. thing of like, he always seems to perform better for England than Man United. And there's a reason why he's still in the team. But um, 
I'm not always sure that's the case. But and that's also kind of partly to the fact that he's actually been okay for Man United. This he's season. been decent this year. He has been. He's been decent. good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think yeah, but Podolski was. I'll go with Podolski. I like that show. I love Podol. I honestly, when he was at Arsenal, I was so happy we signed him. He was bang average, <laughs> but every so often you just score an absolute howitzer. He's like, oh yes, that's why we've got. Yeah. yeah, like one of the most satisfying strikers. Again, like unfortunately because it was Arsenal, but like the power that you used to get on those shots, one of the most like satisfying strikers mm. of a ball, like especially on the volley as well. Yeah, there's, there's a goal so against many, like, volleys. There's a goal against Montpellier, which is one of the most violent hits I've ever seen in my life. I think yeah. it must hit like ninety. Just hit miles the ball like it was annoyed with it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, Adam, players for you that come to mind. Uh, so there was a really good one that I came across on the actual tweet, which was David Healy. He always yeah. seemed to bang the goals for mm. Northern Ireland, didn't he? So mm -hmm. that was a he scored really a winner against shot. England when they beat England. Yeah, like, and did. Spain yeah. as well. He got a goal, he got a yeah, goal got... against Spain as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he that. did. So he was a really good one. Um, I went nostalgically for Emmanuel Elissa Deby because Oof. no one would have heard of him too much, but he was a <laughs> Nigerian uh, naturalized Pole who uh, just seemed to turn up for Poland. Just scored loads of goals for us in the campaign for. 20 uh 2002 when it was mm -hmm. japan and south korea and yeah his goals got us into that position uh we, we were dreadful again at that world cup no surprise there rory um but <laughs> he his goals were absolutely amazing he then got a transfer to panathinaikos and i was thinking right he'll get himself about he had like a trial at portsmouth and harry redknapp didn't fancy him um, so that was the end of Emmanuel Lissadebi, basically. Um, but he was a guy that I really loved. And then Asamo Jian as well. Yeah. He always seemed to do it for Ghana, didn't he? And then I was so excited. At Sunderland. I loved, yeah, when I he loved came to the Prem, I was so excited. I was like, oh, here we go. This is going to be absolute box yeah. office. But he never really hit it, did he? He never really hit it, unfortunately. But for Ghana, yeah, Ben, for Ghana, he was always unreal, right? Yeah, that 2010 World Cup, even though England were a bit of a shambles, that was one of my favourite World Cups because it was like, there was this weird thing where like, I would have been, how old would I have been? I would have been like, I would have been like in year seven at school and we did a thing where we did this thing called the World Trade Fair where like, okay. you, basically you had to have like every, you were split into like groups of three across the year group and you all got given a country and you kind of had to do like a presentation in this big room like everyone could kind of come round to your stall, like learn nice. a bit about the country and we got Ghana, and it was during the World Cup. So when England went out, I was like, right, Ghana all the way. And that that um, quarterfinal against Uruguay, like, Luis still Suarez. haunts me to this day. Like, <laughs> was it Jean that scored in that game, or was it Montari? He missed, Jean missed the penalty, Jean didn't he? He missed the yeah, penalty. Yeah. Yeah. And was it Montari yeah. that scored that? Really, like I think that? it was. Yeah. 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 I loved that. Yeah. Asmo Jean was class. And didn't they beat the USA in the round before that as well? Yeah. Yeah, 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 they were really I good at tournament Ghana. They were really yeah, good. I had, a really, I had a soft spot for Ghana. Uh, but I, so, yeah, Asamo Jan's a really good shout. I do like Asamo Jan. I'm just going through some of the other shouts here. David Healy, Darius Vassell is one of the, <laughs> yeah. England, one of the England shouts, which I did enjoy. Uh, we got a shout for Podolsky, Jordan Shakiri, which is a very yeah, good that's shout. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, Tim Cahill for Australia. And a lot of James Rodriguez. A lot of James <laughs> Rodriguez, um, yeah. unsurprisingly. And, of course, Adam, we haven't even mentioned him. Favourite of the pod, Guillermo Ochoa for Mexico. Of course. Of course yeah, Ochoa. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy that seems to just pull it out of the bag, doesn't he, Always. for Mexico in goal. So, yeah. How that guy never played in the Premier League. What, uh, well, and uh, you know what? We're going yeah. to end it on Ochoa because he is one of our favourites. There's no better <laughs> note to finish it on. Um, 
thanks for joining us guys we hope you enjoyed it as yeah. always hit the like and subscribe button down here we will have another show on friday um looking forward to some club action oh thank god it is back we've got some big games this weekend coming up derby d'italia we've got yes. manchester city taking on liverpool it's going to be a huge weekend so we will see you on friday ben thanks for coming on we will we are certain we'll have you back but when our listeners and viewers want to find your stuff where can they find you so you can find me, uh, Ben Talks Football on TikTok and on Instagram as well. And then because I tried to change my Twitter name the other day to Ben Talks Football because it's too many characters, I've gone for the European route. So it's Ben Talks Football with a U. So Beautiful. you can find me on there. So yeah. But yeah, no pleasure to come on again, guys. Really enjoyed it. Good so. stuff. Thank you very much, guys. We are going to go and we will see you on Friday. Ciao. Adopo. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.